0: If I was going to be quite mean, or if this was Sunday school, I would say, what did I preach on last week or last time? But as I'm not mean and it isn't Sunday school, I'll just give you a very brief recap. We started into the prophecy of Haggai. And we looked at the first few verses and a word stood out to me as I was meditating upon this and as I was preparing, and that word was time. So we looked at the word time. It was the people's time. The people said, is it time? It's not time to build the Lord's house. Then the Lord said, and that was the second point, it was the Lord's time. The Lord said, it is time. But we know now is the Lord's time, it is always the Lord's time now not when we're ready, when the Lord is ready and then we looked lastly at the temple time, the time for the temple to be built and the time for the temple to be no more because we don't need the temple anymore it is finished was his cry, the veil of the temple was rent in two The purpose of the temple was gone. The one word as I was preparing for this or a little phrase, but the one word that we're going to take that stood out to me this time was consider. It's given to us twice in in verses five and seven. And if something is repeated, it is repeated for a purpose. We do not have vain repetition in the scriptures. We have deliberate repetition for emphasis, for purpose. Consider your ways. But when we spoke last time, we read through the whole of the, the prophecies, two chapters, so we read it all in two parts. The reason to, for doing that was to put our text into its context what did it mean for the people to be not building the temple why was the time important but then we saw the purpose of the book and the prophecy what it meant we're also going to put our con- our, our text into its context again even within this passage so Even though our text might be, consider your ways, that needs to have its own context. So before we consider our ways, which is our second point, our first point must always be to consider the speaker. And then the natural conclusion from considering our ways is to consider the consequences. And we'll have this in verses 1 through to 11, or really even from verses 4 and 5 through to 11. Whenever you're sort of starting out and planning things, so somebody very helpfully once said, and I've, I'm, I'm misquoting here, but you get the gist of it, that there are five wise guides who, what, where, when, and why. So whenever you start to plan something, that's a good basis. Who are we talking about? What is the purpose? Where is it? When was it? Why did it happen? So if you have those thoughts in the back of your mind as we go through this, we will touch on some of those briefly just as an inter, uh, interweave within our, our three points today. So our text within its context, is to consider our ways. But as I said, the most important part, firstly, is to consider the speaker. So who, then, is the speaker? Verse 5 and verse 7 will tell us. Now, therefore... Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So even with a, a, a very brief, thoughtful look at those two verses... We can see the order and the importance, can't we? Is it important to consider our ways? Yes. It's so important that the Lord has spoken it. But what is more important to start with is to understand who has told us to consider our ways I'm sure, like me, you receive a lot of advice and guidance from different people at different times. And I'm sure, like me, you'll have a degree of respect for whoever it may be. And you will take their advice and their counsel, firstly, from who they are, and secondly, whether the counsel is of any value. So it is here. The counsel to consider our ways comes from the Lord of hosts. We we read at the introduction there a psalm um, Psalm one hundred four. And as we were reminded last week by Detlef when he was uh, here, this isn't a psalm about creation, it's a psalm about the Creator. When we read Psalm forty six, we have that dual title in the repeated it's partway through the psalm and then it, the psalm concludes with it the Lord of hosts is with us the God of Jacob is our refuge so we've got the personal the God of Jacob not the God of Israel the God of Jacob personal but it is preceded by the grand title of the Lord of hosts can also be translated Jehovah of hosts. So let's break down and let's start to look at this title. As I said at the start, those five guides, who, what, where, when, and why, who, this is why we studied the scriptures. It is about him. Who are we speaking? The Lord of hosts. And that title is repeated, repeated, repeated throughout the two chapters. So regardless of the title of the book, the, the who is clearly the Lord of hosts. He is Jehovah. Now, Jehovah can be translated into I am that I am. How, how, how can you describe the indescribable? How can you measure the immeasurable, the infinite? I am that I am. That tells us That he is self-existent. Now, can any one of us exist on our own, in our own strength? No. The very breath that we breathe is given to us. The very air that we have in the system is given to us. The sunshine, the rain, he created them. He was not created. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is self-existent. That that phrase needs some serious consideration. It needs time to sit and to think. What does that actually mean? How can he be self-existent? How how is that even possible? And you see now how we're beginning to get a picture of who is speaking. The self existent one, the one who is beyond creation, the one who is beyond measure. Jehovah, I am that I am. But that's not the full title it's given, is it? It's Jehovah of hosts. <coughs> and again, what do we mean by hosts? And if you start to look into this, you'll find that there are different opinions. And then what all of the the people will say is, and we agree with them all, the angelic host. He is the God, he is Jehovah above the angelic host. We are blessed here, aren't we, with the dark sky status. So on a clear night, we can see the stars. We can see the heavenly host. We can see the stars that he has created. Jehovah of hosts. All of creation is his. There are the hosts of the nations, all the people of this world. He is in charge, he is in control, he is the God of the people. And then there's the military hosts, the armies of this world. The strength that they possess is given to them by Jehovah do you see again something of what this title means? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. It's it, it's beyond measure in many respects, and I'm doing my best to just position that so that you can see to some extent a self existent God, a God who is in control, who is above all of creation, the angelic hosts, the stars. All of this world, all of the people, all of the power and and strength of this world is subject to him. And suppose one of the reasons I, I enjoy Psalm 46 so much is because we have this magnitude, this grandeur. And then immediately we come down to the God of Jacob and he is our God in a very personal sense. This great and mighty God is my God, the God of Jacob. So consider the speaker. But if we backtrack to verse 3, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, even there, we're, we're given clarity. Haggai was the mouthpiece. Haggai spoke the words, they were not his words. He was just simply God's instrument. the word of the Lord by Haggai. So, even though we have, who is this man, Haggai, we are deliberately not told anything of him. We are told about the ancestry of uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel, but we know nothing of the ancestry of Haggai. And that's followed up as well, if you're putting Haggai into his context, with Zechariah, who is a, a contemporary prophet, and also with the, um, the, the 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 book of Ezra, even there we just have the name of Haggai, no other detail. We know nothing more. He was not important. The message was important. The speaker was important. Consider the speaker. But then, what does the speaker say? And this is very much the what. What is the message? Consider your ways. Verse 6. Or even if we go back, really. And um, verse 4. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lay, lie waste, and this house is the temple? Is it time for you to live in your houses, while the temple, God's house, lies waste? Consider your ways. And verse 6 is very helpful, in that it lists some actions and some Reactions, for want of a better phrase. Ye have sown much, and ye bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. It's quite um, an easy thing to picture, isn't it, that a bag with holes? We can understand the pointlessness of it, the, the waste, the loss. And we also have to remember that in times past and in different cultures, payment wasn't always in notes and coins. You can even see that in fairly recent times, it's probably still happening in, in rural India, where payment is often made in rice. Can you imagine putting rice into a bag with holes? And walking down the road, It'd be like Hansel and Gretel, wouldn't it? There'd be a trail all the way. And you get home with an empty or a half-empty bag. So earning, that was a good thing. They should have been working. They should have been industrious. They should have been prosperous. But they weren't reaping the benefits from it. Sowing much was a good thing. They should have been harvesting the land. They should have been preparing the land and sowing and then reaping the benefits. But they were bringing in little. They were doing some good things. Now, to help me with, I've been uh, preparing for this, I've I've got a little book by Michael Bentley on on the Haggai and Zechariah. And I'm I'm going to share three quotes today from um, Michael Bentley. The first one is we can be sure some of the people must have had a conscience about the sad state of affairs. But we can be certain, too, that, like us, they rationalised their way out of their dilemma. So some of them will have obviously been aware of what they were doing. And we'll just backtrack and cover that a little bit more. They had nice houses. The temple of the Lord was in ruins. Is that right? Where did they worship? Could they worship? What did the other nations do for their worship? Did they have better temples than God's own people? Really, what they should have done was put more effort into the building of the temple, less effort into the building of their own homes. We'll see that in a little bit more detail as we we come through to it. In verse nine, because it carries on the same theme as verse six. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow it up. Why? (laughs) Saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house, that is waste. And you run every man unto his own house. They've so much brought in little. They earn wages and they put it in a bag with holes and they lose half of it. They look for much and, they came, and it came to little. They brought home, what that literally means is that they had plenty and they had it in storage. So they were doing quite nicely here, weren't they? If we go back to verse 4, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? Literally what that means is they're panelled. They had nice wood inside the houses, or the houses were very comfortable, very luxurious. They'd gone way beyond the, pay, the state of necessity, and now we're in a state of luxury. They had stores. They had provisions aplenty. So what does the Lord say? You brought it home, built up your stores. I blew it up. I took it away. I destroyed it. Why was this? Because they had got their priorities wrong. Now working is important. Earning wages is important. Making sensible provision is important and that is not what they are being criticized for it is because they neglected the more important things contrast what we've read in verse 6 and verse 9 with what sits in the middle and i'll read the introduction from verse 7 thus saith the lord of hosts again that title Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. So here's clear counsel. Gather the wood that you've probably used to build your house. Get wood, build the temple. And I will take pleasure. And I will be glorified. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do as the Lord commands. Blessings would follow, and blessings do follow when we're faithful to the Lord. He has sown much. Bring in little. He looked for much and it came to little. He brought in plenty and I did blow it up. Again, Michael Bentley. Their expectations were great, like those of William Carey when he preached his famous sermon in 1792 entitled, Expect Great Things from God and Attempt Great Things for God. But they did not attempt the great things. They just expected but did not give glory or priority to God. Consider your ways. We can very, very easily take these examples, can't we? We don't live in... um, Israel two and a half thousand years ago. We live in a completely different time, a completely different country, a completely different life. The basic principles are the same though, aren't they? Consider our ways. We so much. Not literally going and planting in the garden or in fields. But we have work to do. We have practical Labor. We have secular employment to do. Do we give that priority? Do we eat and drink and not be satisfied? Do we earn wages? This is a very interesting one. Do we earn wages and put it in a bag of holes? Do we waste our resources? Well, we can very clearly say yes to We sow much and bring in little. We earn wages and we put it in a bag with holes. We're all guilty of these things. But even on a spiritual level, do we sow much? Do we sow much? Regardless of whether we bring in little, do we sow at all? What do we do for the Lord? If we were there now, obviously accepting that he would change the phrases and, and if he was here now and challenge us on, on different points. But the principle is the same. What have you done to glorify my name? Do we prioritise other things? Are we negligent in the works of the Lord? Consider your ways. Consider the speaker, the Lord of hosts, and imagine this great infinite being speaking directly to you. Consider, consider your ways. Now, we will come to this, God willing, in in days to come. But if you carry on, if we'd have carried on a bit further in our reading, we would see the considering by Zerubbabel and Joshua and the repentance, the almost instant repentance once that challenge had come. Would we be of such a ready heart to repent our, our lethargy, our slackness as quickly as that? Consider the speaker, consider your ways, consider the consequences. What's very helpful about this situation is we get the full picture. This is what has happened, and we have that key word, why. So we don't even have to go and work out why, you know, as one of our five guides, because the Lord has given it to us. You looked for so much, and lo, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I did blow it up. Why? saith the Lord of hosts because of mine house that is waste and ye run every man to his own house and then verse 10 starts with a therefore so we know it's going to carry on and they're going to get more clarification but why why are there consequences because of my house? Now that might seem drastic, these people had been in captivity for 70 years and they have come home to their own land and they are trying to rebuild their lives and they've managed without the temple worship for this time, they can manage a bit longer. They need to build the houses, they need to farm the land, cultivate the land again. So why is the Lord being so harsh on them? They had been back in the promised land after the captivity 15, 20 years. How long does it take to to sort your land out? How long does it take to sort your houses out? How long does it take to get yourself into a, a comfortable place where you can then give your attention and your focus to the building of the Lord's house? Now, there were difficulties there were trials and there were challenges and there were oppressions. But they had tarried far too long. They had got comfortable in their lifestyle. They had been building up stores of reserves for themselves. A bit like the, the foolish man, look at me and all my wealth. I will eat, drink and be merry. Thou fool, this night thy soul is required of you. They had lovely houses. They had been building their houses and they had been panelling them with wood. They had far more than they needed. My house lies waste, says the Lord. So they had plenty of time to recover. They had been back in their own land. They were home, the home of the temple. They should have been building the temple and they had been back plenty of time. Therefore, my house is ruined, therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. I call for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labour of the hands. Now, we could have just summarised that by I called upon a drought upon the land. And that would have sufficed, wouldn't it? We get the picture. But no, I'm going to make sure you get the picture. There was a drought upon the land, which the Lord says, I called and upon the mountains. So even the snow, in effect, would not have been falling as it were and Melting and snowmelt, watering the land. So the corn, the wine, the oil, the ground, the men and the cattle, as a result of the crops failing, the men and the cattle would have struggled. And the labour of their hands would have failed because there was no goodness in the ground. Why? I called a drought. Why? Because of my house. So the consequences of their actions are very clear. They had took care of themselves ahead of the Lord. They had built themselves up to a nice comfortable position. To the neglect of the Lord. You have plenty. I will take it. Why? Because you have neglected me. Our last quote from Michael Bentley. Have you ever come before the Lord and considered what he is saying to you through the things that are happening to you and around you? When trouble comes, have you ever said to God, you are sending or allowing this in order to teach me something? What is it, Lord? Help me to listen to what you are saying and put it into practice. Now here... We have a very clear example. There have been consequences. There was drought. There would be famine in the land. And we have the answer as to why. This has happened because you have neglected to look after me. Therefore, I have called this. Now, when things happen in our lives, we don't know why they are happening often. See, again, Job is a very helpful example, isn't it? Because we can see behind the scenes. We are told exactly why Job suffered. When things happen in our lives, we don't know the answer. And I'm not saying that every time something bad happens, it's because of something that we have done. But it's it's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Lord, what are you saying to me through this? What do I need to change? Do I need to do something differently? Do I need to do something? Do I need to stop doing something? Do I need to change my attitude to even how I am dealing with this situation? Lord, what are you saying to me? Very powerful challenge. There are consequences. Consider our ways. But most importantly, consider the speaker. Who is speaking to us? Jehovah of hosts. Even the very thought of that title should make us stop and think. What is he saying to me? So, We saw the consequences and we saw why. Why is this happening? But then in our application we can say, why? Why has this been written? Obvious answer, firstly, to benefit the people who had been backsliding and backslidden and who had not prioritised the Lord and had not built the temple. So what we need to do is to say, why has this been written for us? And it's a challenge, isn't it, to think about what we have done or what we do and what we are going to do. Do we need to repent of our actions? Do we need to consider what we are doing? Do we need to change what we are doing? But mostly we will need to confess Before the Lord, our shortcomings. Even, very helpfully to, to quote just a hymn, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is cold and faint, yet I love thee and adore O for grace to love thee more. Isn't that so often the case with us? And isn't that often the primary fault or failing or sin in our lives? Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is cold and faint, have left our first love the bride in the song of Solomon didn't answer the door and he withdrew himself and then she realised my beloved is gone so often with ourselves repent of our wrongdoing our wrong priorities the people there had the blessing and benefit of knowing exactly what had gone wrong why it had gone wrong But we don't always, but we need to pray. Lord, give me guidance, lead me, teach me. But also, it reminds us that God is in control and that God is in absolute control. You did this, therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from its due, and I call the drought. He controls the elements. He stops the rain. He sends the rain. He does as he sees fit. This call to repentance. Repent before the great and mighty God, the creator of the world. The one who sent his son into the world to to save us from our sins. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Come before the great and mighty God. If you haven't yet trusted in him as your Lord and saviour, don't delay. We talked of time last time. We spoke. Today is the appointed day. Now is the appointed time. The time is the Lord's. Repent now. Don't wait. Don't delay. Because he might say he might send a, a drought, a famine of hearing in your own heart, as we read in in, in Amos. Don't harden your heart. Don't delay. Don't wait. Come before the great and mighty God, the one who sends the rain, the one who opens our hearts, the one who gives us all the blessings, the one who has given us such clear counsel, the one who is the Lord of hosts. There is such an encouragement to follow for those who are faithful. And he promises, I will be with you in your difficulties. I am there. I am with you. Don't go through life without this God who is ever with us who is ever with his people. The Lord of hosts is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, very personal, is our God and our refuge. Amen.